Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. If we're going to morning good morning it is tuesday the 4th of october 2022 um and just so that you know in advance i'm gonna talk really fast today because i have i don't know maybe four hours of material (laughs) and we only have two hours together so let's get rolling today's growing your faith verse of the day comes from matthew chapter 5 we are you know in this opening portion of jesus's sermon on the mount which is matthew 5 6 and 7 And we're in this portion of Matthew 5 called the Beatitudes, and these are um, spoken um, declarations of blessing by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so we want to know what he has to say about what it means to be blessed and who is blessed. And so Matthew 5, 11 and 12 today, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, And falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And I have to say, now, wait just a second. Rejoice and be glad when others insult you, persecute you, and say all kinds of untrue things against you because you're a Christ follower? What? Rejoice and be glad? Why? Well, according to Jesus, because great is your reward in heaven, and this is the path of the ones who are not of the world and who are yet still in it. We are the representatives. We represent Christ to the world. And and how did the world treat Christ? He came to his own, and his own did not receive him, but rejected him, um, spit upon him, falsely accused him, um, crucified him. And we are his followers. We are his people representing him in the world today. And are we blessed? Yes, absolutely. Um, Do we walk by faith and not by sight? Yes, absolutely. But this idea that we would rejoice and be glad in the midst of persecution, in the midst of false accusations, that that is not how most of us um, are wired. And that suggests to me that we need to be rewired. Uh, according to what uh, what God has to say. So let's consider these verses um, from the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 um, in conversation with what Jesus says in John chapter 15, where he says to his disciples, and this is on the night um, that he knows he is going to the cross, he says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember um, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. And so if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, then they will keep your word as well. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. 
If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had uh, not done among them the works that no one else did, he's talking there about his miracles, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they've seen and they've hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in the law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. And so if they hated Jesus, um, they're going to hate the Jesus followers, the Jesus people, you and me. Consider how the prophets of God have been treated throughout all of human history, how Jesus was treated in his life and in his death. Consider how Jesus is treated today, denied, rejected, mocked. Why would we expect the world to treat us any differently or any better than the world treats Jesus? I think um, Peter most clearly echoes this beatitude that we find here in Matthew. Um, Peter says in 1 Peter 4.14, If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. James, the brother of Jesus, writes in his letter, this is James 1.12, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Paul also echoes um, the the sentiment of today's beatitude. In Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5, Paul says, um, We also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I think also of Paul's words in Romans chapter 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? No! For your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The writer of the book of Hebrews um, paints a picture as well in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 to 34. Peter um, Peter says again, um, if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Don't fear the threats. Don't be frightened. James says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of any kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Maybe my favorite um, expression of this is from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12.10, for Christ's sake. I delight in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. Let's be encouraged and strengthened today in our walk with the Lord, even though we face um, persecutions of all kinds. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. Mark Caleb Smith joins me next. Mark Caleb Smith joins us now from Cedarville University. Mark, good morning. Morning, Carmen. How are you doing? I am well. Um, so we have a friend who uh, texted in, actually like talk texted while they're driving, because you know that's the safe way to do it, but it also means that there's a bit of a stream of consciousness. Um, and the question is, the question is, um, do I have to be uh, a Republican if I'm a Christian? Like, do I have to like support a particular party um, I think they are being maligned um, because they they find concern with both political uh, parties now, 
and um, they're being maligned by other Christians and they're struggling. So I thought that um, that text was very timely because you and I are going to talk this morning about the fact that the divide um, is not really a right-left divide. So talk with us about what really divides America. There are lots of divisions. I mean, we could talk about uh, racial division, class divisions, uh, geographic divisions, but uh, I think one of the most interesting divisions right now uh, isn't between right and left or liberal and conservative. It's more between um, people who are concerned about the Constitution, people who are concerned about sort of our system of government and our form of government and who appreciate it. Uh, I don't know if calling them centrists is really fair because I think they could be conservative or liberal. Um, But those people versus more extremes uh, from both of our parties uh, who are really willing to, I think, uh, fundamentally undo parts of our political system in order to achieve their goals. Um, So not necessarily right versus left, but more of uh, people who are happy with our form of government and who want to see it move forward the way that it has uh, versus people who really want significant, dramatic change. So when we talk about people who um, want to see want to see the conversation change and want maybe to see the participants in the conversation in terms of those who are lifted up um, changed, I think that when I um, when I tune in to any form of secular media, <clears throat> so it doesn't really matter which end of the um, proverbial dial you tune into, there is this effort to set up everything as um, an ideological contest between right. people who hold extreme positions. Rarely do you um, hear or see a genuinely centrist voice calmly address the concerns that people have on both sides of something. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's because mostly media outlets, um, political parties, interest groups, uh, all of them benefit from extreme positions. Uh, if they can put forward an extreme position and generate their own loyalty, generate their own donations and passion and volunteerism on their side. Uh, and if they have to paint the other side as evil or depraved or wicked or irredeemable, um, then there's a strong incentive to do that. Uh, you can certainly achieve power that way. You can certainly achieve wealth that way. Uh, the way that our media functions now, as you know, uh, is it's no longer broadcasting where we look for the broadest possible audience. It's now more narrow casting where you look for this small group of people that are fiercely loyal you build that loyalty um, and then you sell that loyalty to advertisers. Uh, that's the way that most media outlets are doing it now, whether that's uh, national or even uh, online or even local. And so it's a different, <clears throat> it's a different media environment. And I think it's a different partisan environment, certainly than the one that you and I grew up in. All right. We're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Mark Caleb Smith here in just a moment. Um, one of the things we're going to talk about is this question. Can civics education make us civil again. Did you take civics when you were in school? What did that look like? Do you um, do you really have any operating understanding um, of civics here in the United States of America beyond, I don't know, Schoolhouse Rock? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. 
As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. We the people, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility. Yeah, that's Schoolhouse Rock. That is the basis of civics education for most of us in the United States of America. Dr. Uh, Mark Caleb Smith, um, can civics education make us civil again? And how do we become re-educated, um, you know, in our 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s? Because it's, you know, it's not just that our kids need civics education. It's that we all need civics re-education. Uh, you know, I hope that civics can make us civil again. And if, and if that's true, uh, that would give my life's work a little bit more meaning. I mean, the thing that I probably teach the most is a general education course here at Cedarville uh, called Politics and American Culture. And it is a required course. And it really is a civics class with a little bit you know, higher level things we get into sometimes, like ideology and other things. But uh, and it's it's extremely gratifying to teach that class to college students. Um, and I think on the whole, they appreciate it. It's difficult, but I think they appreciate it. Uh, with adults and with uh, parents and grandparents and others, I think a lot of them at one point maybe knew these things. I think a lot of them maybe still do know the basics of how the system of government works. I think uh, one of the problem is, though, is figuring out why it works that way and, you know, and understanding uh, sort of the, the the ideas that are that are foundational to our political system, those ideas are critical. And if you really don't grasp those ideas, uh, then what you know about government really may be closer to trivia, or maybe closer to just sort of uh, you know completing questions on a quiz, which isn't really what we're talking about when we talk about being in a civil society. Yeah, we have a. Uh... A listener, Mary Rose, who has uh, texted in and, and, and she said, you know, when my grandparents came, they had to actually learn what the Constitution said and then they had to, you know, by their signature and by their voice agree to uphold the Constitution. Right. Um, they, right. you know, they signed a document that said that said so. Mm-hmm. Um, but for everyone who's born here, um, like that's not required. Um, and so there is this uh, rigorous civics uh, educational process for people right. who immigrate to the United States of America, but not for those of us who are born here. That seems that seems a little odd as well. Uh, it, it is a little bit odd. Now, I think I think most states. I don't know off the top of my head, but I think almost every state has a civics requirement of some kind for education within their state. And so, uh, if you're going through the public school system and in, in states, you're going to get a kind of civics education. Uh, in your social studies curriculum throughout uh, elementary, middle school, and high school. So I think that people are getting exposed to it. But, you know, if you look at those citizenship exams that uh, sometimes that immigrants take still, uh, they're they're pretty solid, strong exams. They get into very particular parts of the Constitution. And I honestly think if we applied those to most people within our country, 
there would be a pretty high failure rate, honestly. Um, and and I think I think the the message is interesting because the words that you use there, you know, do they defend? Do they respect? Do they wish to protect the Constitution? It isn't just a matter of you know, do I know some basic facts? It's a matter of am I willing to uh, acknowledge this authority of the Constitution and then to protect that authority, um, almost as if it's a sovereign. You know, we saw England come together in the morning of the of, of the Queen uh, recently. Well, in our system, our Constitution is really sovereign, and we should te- we should treat it that way. Uh, it is the supreme authority within our form of government. Um, okay, so now um, I'm looking at the questions. Uh, sample test here, um, civics, history, and government questions for the naturalization uh, if you want to become a U.S. citizen. Um, it's 11 pages long, first of all. <clears throat> um, and it asks questions like, um, what is the rule of law? How would you answer yeah. that question? <laughs> like, what is the rule of law? That's a big, that's a big question. I would say no one is above the law and... And when we, in the Declaration of Independence, like, declare ourselves independent of right. of the reality where the king is law, we would say right. now the law right. is king. Everyone is subordinate right. to the law of the land. Do, would I, would I, do you think I would pass the question? Yeah, I think that you would. Yeah, and the rule of law would apply to everyone in every situation, no matter how uh, rich they are, how poor they are, what their background is, how powerful they are. And so presidents of the United States should be under the law just as if uh, just as the most common person in our country should be under the law as well. And so that's a that's an attitude uh, as well as a reality. You know, you'd hope that prosecutors and others would apply the law evenly. uh, But you also hope that as an attitude that we all see ourselves as bound by the law at one level. Yeah, this might be a fun exercise for you if you haven't done so um, recently, you know, use the Googler and ask it for. Um, the questions uh, on the naturalization test for those who want to become U.S. citizens. Um, it covers all kinds of things, um, including like the war history of the United States, um, obviously all three yep. branches of government. It covers um, the geography of the United States, official holidays, those kinds of things. Um, yeah, well, that's kind of fascinating. I, I might print that out and we might do that. There's a 100 questions on the test, by the way. Um Mark, when you think about um, the term culture war, this goes back, um, you know, this kind of takes a step back to what divides us um, in American politics today. But I think these are connected, right? This idea that we're going to treat one another in a civil way um, and this notion that as a culture we are at war with one another, um, how do we get beyond culture war? um, I mean... how do we get beyond treating one another in our everyday relationships as if we are in a to the death war with one another? Yeah, I think as believers, um, it's it's simple. Yeah, even if you think of, of people that you're in, in your society, if you think of them as enemies, we're still commanded. You know, you're talking about the Sermon on the Mount earlier. We're still commanded to love them. And so we, even if we think we're locked in a culture war for the existence of our country, we're still obligated to love those people on the other side, and we're obligated to manifest that love uh, in a way that will uh, hopefully draw them toward Christ if they're not already believers. And I think that's a simple way to move past this sort of culture war rhetoric. You can be in conflict. You can be in sharp disagreements, 
uh, with people, but still go out of your way to be loving and to be kind and to be gentle the way that we're commanded to be um, in scripture. And it's hard because the culture war rhetoric always tells us, you know, the stakes are so high, everything is on the line. And again, even if you think that's true, I think there are still some boundaries there with how we treat people, at least if we are uh, claiming to be Christ followers. Mm. Um, I think that this question of um, of testing ourselves um, in terms of our civics, but then also in terms of our Christian character, regardless of the form of government or the day and time in which we live. Those are some helpful questions for each each of us to be asking today. I, I appreciate that. Um, hey, Mark, as always, thank you. Um, thank you so much for joining us and, you know, uh, you know, helping us be more well-educated as both citizens and Christian citizens uh, in the culture today. Thanks, Carmen. Thanks to you and all your listeners. We'll see you soon. Likewise, that's Dr. Mark Caleb Smith. You can find him at Cedarville University, or he tweets at Mark Caleb Smith. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. Let's hear Max Lucado and Upwards. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. Ah. Okay, yes, apparently, um, those of you texting in, um, apparently there is a 2008 version of the uh, citizenship test, civics test, uh, and there's a 2020 version, and only certain people qualify to take the 2020 version. Um, And just so that you know, you don't have to get all 100 questions or all 128 questions um, correct. Apparently, you're only going to be asked a sample of those, a dozen or so, and you have to get 60% of the answer correct. Uh, I don't know. I think you can basically take it as a whole course because there's an MP3, which is an audio version of it available um, online. I just, I find it fascinating, right? I, if you, if you think about being catechized as a Christian, um, you know, how would you answer some of the basic questions of the faith? What is the chief end of man? Um, We used to actually walk through a process of catechesis where you know, there would be this question and answer process. And in order to demonstrate that you had a working understanding of the, uh, you know, of of basic Christian doctrine, you, you know, you had to answer the questions. You had to, you know, actually talk about your faith and your faith in the particular God who is revealed in the Old and New Testaments of the Bible. And you had to talk about your understanding of the Bible and how you receive it and how you um, are going to read it and how you're going to be engaged in active discipleship and who Jesus is and how the Trinity is interrelated and how you relate to the Holy Spirit. I mean, on and on and on and on and on. And I guess I'm wondering, you know, as as much as we might imagine as Americans, we couldn't even pass the civics test for naturalization. Um, I'm wondering if we could pass a catechesis test as Christians. I mean, that seems like a way more important question. Um, so there you go. This, you know, Carmen's musings on the topic. Hey, um, my guess is that most of us are not in what we would think of as quote unquote full-time ministry. However, I would argue that as Christians, we are in full-time ministry all the time and everywhere because there's no um, space or place in all of the universe, nowhere that you're going to set your foot today, nowhere that you're going to set your mind today, um, that's a place or a space over which God is not sovereign, Jesus has claimed it all. I mean, there's every square inch, you know, Jesus says, mine. That's uh, 
That's Abraham Kuyper. I mean, that's not Carmen. Carmen didn't come up with that. But it's true. It's true. And that means that every vocation, everything that we do um, is a place and a space and an activity, a job, a labor that is kingdom related and potentially kingdom advancing. And so do you want to be a pastor or do you want to be a plumber? Nathaniel Marshall joins us next. Nate Marshall tweeted last night, hey, if you don't have anything better to do, I'm going to be on the radio with Carmen LeBurge. So, hey, everybody listening right now, apparently you don't have anything better to do. But many of you are in your trucks headed to work. Um, The guys that are going to build things and fix things and um, the women who are going to treat and heal and teach things. Good morning to each and every one of you. Nate Marshall joins us now. And instead of becoming a pastor... He ministers as a plumber. Nate, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, Carmen. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, really a delight to be here. I um, I have a beloved plumber in my life, um, and he comes to my aid when I am the most desperate and help has to come from the outside. Like, it's one of the most incarnational ministries I can imagine. Yeah, well, the, sort of what I... Part of how I conceptualize what I do is that there's been a, a rift in the relationship between a homeowner and their safe place. The, the relationship is broken, and so I get to come in and help knit that back together. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I mean, I, 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 it's such an admirable um, work, and and yet, let's say that you came to this not as a hey, I'm gonna, I want to pursue this. This is my, you know, from the beginning, what I always imagined I would be doing. Your heart's desire um, was and maybe still is to pastor a congregation. Talk, talk with us about how you ended up being a plumber. Yeah, well, it's it's a pretty long winding backstory, but but the the sum of it is that I I ended up on um, on the same day getting a call from both the plumbing company that I ended up working for and a, and a church actually uh, offering me a part-time position on staff as a pastor. And in that moment, I was not like within 20 minutes of each other, I got both of these calls and it was one of those things where I had to decide really in that moment, um, what, what is, what is the wise decision and, and what is the one that is going to in, in terms of longevity, what is going to be the one that is going to allow me to provide for my family? Because I'm married and I've got I've got a young child at this time, and uh, if I figured if a, if a season of ministry came to an end unexpectedly, um, what was I going to do? Go back to a twelve dollar an hour customer service job? Um, you know, I, I I didn't want to put my family potentially in that situation, and so I chose the plumbing uh, out of uh, what I felt was hopefully wisdom. Um, but, but I did so with, with this prayer in my heart and on my lips that God, you know, it may take me into this plumbing season and make me into the kind of person that can ultimately, uh, be a pastor in your church. If you should choose to call me to that work. 
Uh, and so it was not an easy decision, but it's been one that I have not regretted making. I feel like, um, and first of all, let me just tell everybody, you can read um, what Nathaniel Marshall has written about, instead of becoming a pastor, I minister as a plumber. You can read it at Christianity Today. That's where I found it. Um, and and I will put links to it in um, in all of the places where you can get the show notes for today um, for easy finding. Um, but one of the things that you talk about here is the the value and the need, I think, the value and the need of um, real work as the training ground where Christians are made. Talk with us mm. about, like, work, physical work. Because let me just tell you, having been to seminary, um, there is not a, uh, there is not an experience during seminary that looks anything like learning to do something that is hard work in the traditional sense of manual labor. Sure. Yeah. Manual labor. And you know, this isn't, this isn't a secret. This isn't something that like, this isn't some esoteric knowledge. I think it's pretty evident all throughout human history uh, across religious traditions and especially within our own Christian tradition. Uh, manual labor is often linked with the spiritual life, and um, so I don't I don't think I've landed on anything abnormal here. But the the fact is is that there are certain things. There's a certain knowledge that our body can can absorb and participate in that our minds have a hard time articulating. Right? There's there's certain things that our bodies teach us that our minds and our spirits um, aren't so uh, adept to. To learning, to to absorbing, and so there is a sense in which uh, manual labor. Um, one of the things I, I mentioned is that manual labor. When I set out to do, let's say, a water heater, it involves my mind. I, I have cognition that I have to be using. It involves my morals because I have to be humble. I have to be patient. I have to endure. Um, there's this moral quality to it and it involves my body. And I'm also trying to maintain a, an awareness that God is with me in the work. And so every facet of my being is centered on this one task and that this is a excellent practice, let's say a, a training, um, for ultimately what our prayer is to be, which is the centering of my entire self, mind, body, spirit on God in those moments where I am explicitly going before him to pray and giving all of myself to him. And so manual labor is this wonderful opportunity to practice this principle um, so that we can implement it in times of prayer. And I didn't expect to find that. Um. So I I just imagine like right people are inviting you into their home. I mean you know maybe we haven't thought of it that way before. I mean if you're listening right now and you have ever called a plumber or you've ever called an HVAC guy um or you've ever called oh an exterminator um I could go down the list here. Um the people who come to our aid to who do things um for us that make our house inhabitable again. Um, and the, the folks who we invite into our home. And as you cross that threshold, Nate, you are, um, you know, you're operating as an ambassador of the king and the kingdom. And everything you say, even if you're not saying it to me as the homeowner, I assure you it's overheard because I'm mm. anxious about 
you know, what's happening. I'm anxious not only about, you know, the place where I live, but I'm, I'm, I'm made anxious by having, um, a stranger in my house, right? And, um, and on and on and on. And so the way that you carry yourself into someone's home and then the way that you carry out your work, it's such a ministry. It's just incredible. And I love that you're lifting it up, um, and helping us see and appreciate, like, People are in ministry regardless of their particular vocation. Everybody that's a Christian is in full-time ministry. We just don't often see and recognize it that way. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's one of those things where, you know, the, the Lord said that when we, anything that you do to the least of these, anything that you do, any service that you render unto your neighbor, he receives as being unto himself. And so if I go into this person's house this person is no longer faceless, nameless person A or customer 125 or whatever. This is, as far as I'm concerned, this is Jesus. And I don't mean that in some kind of heretical or weird way, but I'm just taking the, the Lord at his own words, right? Like he is in my customer receiving the service that I do as unto him. And, and if he is in fact in my customer in some way that I can't explain, um, then how am I, how am I going to work for that customer? How am I going to work for my Lord? Am I going to do, am I going to cut corners and, and, and uh, take shortcuts in my work? Or am I going to do my work with excellence? And am I going to treat that person who maybe wants to stand over my shoulder and ask, you know, a thousand questions or, or play the game, impress the plumber with, with my, with my plumbing knowledge or whatever, am I going to, you know, shoo them off or am I going to receive them as Jesus and, and do my best to, to engage with them as if they were Jesus himself. It, it, it really frames uh, all the work that's done. And I think it, ultimately it has, um, it has lasting eternal significance uh, be, precisely because Jesus says that it does. I love, um, Nate, that you are um, a student of, um, of the church fathers, and I love that you, that you share um, out of what they have um, left behind in terms of their written words. Um, talk with us about what you've learned from um, Basil the Great. Mm, yeah, so he is uh, an incredible writer and um, a, a true pastor, a lover of scripture, an incredible, incredible uh, man. And um, he was one who, I, I won't say that he was the first, but he was maybe one of the one of the first who really explored this idea of um, of the, the connection between in terms of the Christian tradition of manual labor and the spiritual life. And one of the things that he talks about most often is the disposition of the heart. Uh, and so internally, um, because the question comes up it, it, where Paul tells us to pray without ceasing, okay, but how? <laughs> That's a nice idea, but how do we actually accomplish this? And so what what Basil does is he, he really explores um, – I don't know that he was setting out to, to systematically explain that all the various ways that this can be done, but I think in his own practice in life, he found that as long as he maintained a disposition of heart uh, in which he was doing what he was doing for the sake of God, um, then the work in some sense becomes prayer itself. Uh, because I, I cannot be, 
I cannot offer. I can't place in in God's hands what I uh, what I don't a what I don't have, and b um, I have to be actually in front of God to place it in His hands. And this is what prayer is, right? It's it's a proximal closeness to God, and then I'm placing certain things or or handing over or giving certain things to God. My emotions, my feelings, my circumstances, my pains, my my thanksgivings. Uh, why not my work? My, my work is also something that I'm handing to God. And uh, and so if I, again, back to Basil, if I maintain that disposition of, of desiring to please God in what I'm doing, sort of somehow remembering that he is with me in what I'm doing, then even my work is prayer. And, um, and so he's, he's a pretty, I would say, a, a central figure for helping us to understand this. Yeah, my... Um my go-to, um, I mean, I don't even know if he's, a, I wouldn't even call him a church father, but Brother Lawrence from mm. um, the, the late 1800s and, and his, um, his writing on the, the practice of the presence of God and mm. just being focused in every moment, no matter what the labor is before you that you are to do, if it's peeling potatoes or, or cleaning the floor, um, which were some of the menial tasks he was assigned um, he found great joy in each and every one of those moments because in those moments he had the freedom to literally practice the presence of God. Like the mm. be, you know, just acknowledge that in this moment I'm in God's presence uninterrupted by anything else in the world because this is what's before me to do right now. Um, I just love that. Yeah. All right, Nate, we got to take a very brief break. When we come back, more with Nathaniel Marshall. Um, he is a licensed journeyman plumber, he's also a Benedictine ablate. Uh, he worships at Christ the King Anglican Church in Marietta, Georgia, um, with his wife and his two daughters. We're going to continue this conversation with Nate in just a moment. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of what we do on live radio every day. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you at MyFaithRadio.com. Right now, we're inviting you to share your Faith Radio story. What do you love about Faith Radio? What do you love about Mornings with Carmen? How has this program changed the way you think or the way you live, the way you engage others in the conversations of the day? We really do want to hear from you. Your story could encourage someone else and certainly glorify God. So share what you love about Faith Radio by calling 877-933-2484 and leave us a message today. Again, thanks for listening. Nothing wrong with a hard hat and a hammer. Kind of blue and sticks this world together. Hands of steel and cradle of the promised land. I'm all right, yeah. Thank you to those of you who are listening. Lots of people texting in right now. Um, finding Nate such an encouragement. Um, a friend texting in Nate who says, I absolutely loved um, Chosen Season 2, Episode 1, where Jesus stops and repairs a man's cart axle. Um, I'm thinking mm-hmm. of that while you're talking to Nate, um, right? That nothing... You know, nothing is um, is nothing that is a genuine human need is beneath the Lord's willingness to do. Um, and then Barb says, "Hey, funny, I just had three guys uh, here yesterday to install a new boiler. There was a lot of manual labor involved in trying to remove the old one, <laughs> and so um, putting uh, putting what's in your heart and your mind together with what's in your hands um, such a such a helpful." Um, thing to think about. So just on and on, um, lots of folks um, resonating with what we're talking about today. Um, Nate, when when we when we encounter 
I'll say people who are in um, trades, so electricians, plumbers, carpenters, I mean, you know, go down the list, mechanics. I mean, so many people who have these, they're very highly skilled. The things that they do are are technical, certainly beyond my my capacity to do. Um, but I think that there are some assumptions that people make. Um, and there is an intellectual arrogance, um, oftentimes, that is totally, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's wrong. It's misplaced. It's... Um, it shouldn't be that way. And I guess I'm wondering, do you ever encounter that? Like, because clearly you, you have a lot more theological education than many, many pastors of many, many churches. And so when I think about, well, I guess when I think about like, um, is it hard to sometimes sit there and listen to someone teaching on um, the things of the faith when they haven't walked in the shoes of, you know, of real work? Like, I'm, I'm kind of wondering about that. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, I think it's, it's difficult in one sense. Um, so what I, what I hope for from a pastor um, is someone who can help shepherd me into the, the, the practical things of living a Christian life, right? Who can, can, can take my interior life the, the the things of my thoughts and my my emotions and my spirit and help order them rightly help help set them in order um, in a holy way so that I can go out and live a life of holiness um, in whatever you know context or sphere that I find myself in and a, a lot of a lot of theological training and a lot of pastor development and formation happens as we know in seminaries and, and in, in the, the academy, which isn't wrong. And I think the, I think the, the need for intelligence and um, cognitive formation and this, this academic acumen, it's necessary. Like I, I, I would not want less than knowledge from a pastor. Right. Um, but I think most of us oftentimes want more um, and I, I think a good pastor over time is going to depend on the people in their congregation to help bring their experiences in, you know, just through sharing, um, not to use like a, a buzz phrase, but, to, but through sharing life with my pastor over the course of months and years, um, they, because they most often are in an academic situation before entering the pastorate, um, they don't have these life experiences. And so they depend heavily on us. Uh, the people who are out in in the I don't want to say out in the real world as if the church is fake somehow, but those of us who are out in the field in our various occupations and vocations to bring those experiences and those circumstances to them, and they actually learn from us. They they are in the position of being the student um, of the what I'll call the laity, the the non ordained people. Um, to, to learn from and, and glean from our experiences so that they can then try to square those things or understand those things through a theological lens, through a pastoral lens, and then return to us uh, to, to, to help shepherd us in a, in a good and an effective way. And I also think that the, you know, for Christians, our core activity, no matter what we are doing, no matter what occupation we find ourselves in, the point of our existence is to be with God. And prayer is is that, and so the pastor's job primarily 
is to teach us how to pray. And I don't think that gets talked about a lot um, or certainly not often enough. And um, so it, more, more even than me looking for practical advice from my pastor on what I should do um, in, on this or that job, uh, I want my pastor to teach me how to pray so that when I'm on my job, I can be with God and depend on God's presence with me to teach me what I should do in those moments. Hmm. Um, you're, you're like my new favorite person. I, it's not like, you know, it's not like that's displaced another favorite person really, but I, um, like, I already like you a lot. And so, well, thank you. um, yeah. So first of all, thank you for being so genuine. Um, so prepared with, you know, what Peter would call a ready defense for the hope that's within you. Um, mm. Thank you for the time that you clearly spend, um, not only with the Lord, but with the Lord's people, um, both now, but also historically over time. You see yourself as, um, you know, as a part of this, like, long, uh, long stream of uh, of Christians over time who have learned this intimate connection between real work and and the real labor that it is to um, to be an active disciple of the Lord, and so I genuinely appreciate it. Um, I hope you'll come back. I hope we can talk again. I'd love to. Yeah, whenever it's convenient for you, you just there's let more me know. to plumb. Oh, there's more to plumb. There, there are so, so, such deep depths uh, to, that we can plumb here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the book is going to be you know like plumbing the depths with Nate or something. Well, yeah. Maybe so. Well, we'll, yeah. we'll see what the publisher says about that title, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Um, blessings on you as you, you know, go forth in the name and the spirit of Christ um, to, to come alongside people who are in real need of the service that you offer. And thank you so much for the labor that you do as unto the Lord. Um, we genuinely appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Carmen. I really appreciate that. I'm really happy to hear that uh, you're, you're uh, on the mend. Yeah, thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. All right, welcome. that's Nathaniel yeah, Marshall. Oh, yeah, thanks. We got to we got to run. That's Nathaniel Marshall. Um he um he's a licensed journeyman plumber. You can read more of what he has written. I wanted to be a pastor. Now I'm a plumber at christianitytoday.com. We'll be right back. Cuz I'm just a nobody. We're trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. Okay, didn't you just totally love that? Um, so I was uh, I was reminded. Hey, Paul, you're going to have to help me remember Dave. Hey tag. Hey tag. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Actually, guy in Wisconsin. I, I told Nate who, about him. I told Nate. I about love that. Him, so yes, we're going to start a movement. Yeah, we are. So yeah, Dave Haytag, For those of you who don't remember, we've had a couple of conversations with him. Um, he owns a machine shop in Wisconsin. He's a you know, and he thought he was going to go off and be a pastor, and God called him back to his um, family's business. And it's such a redemptive work that he's engaged in as well and character education in high schools there. Um, yeah, I just I just love it. All right, thank you um, for being here during this first hour. We've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.